Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Hello, welcome everyone. This is uh, this is our second episode for the Construction User 2.0. Today we're joined by Daniel Hogan, the uh, impartial secretary of the NMAPC and the CEO of the Association of Union Constructors. Hey Dan, how are you doing today? We're living the dream, Kirk. Great to be here. Uh, disappointed I'm the second uh, interviewee on the, the New Talk podcast, but I guess uh, you want to get the glitches worked out well, on the first one. You know, you're a father. We all hear about the first pancake. <laughs> We had to let Todd Muster be the first pancake. He's, he's a good one. To he's a good one. To <laughs> we had to make sure that we had the temperature just right, that we understood. Uh, so when to when to flip the pancake, uh, not that the Todd one didn't go well, it went really well. But just <laughs> we wanted to make sure that before we brought you in here, that there was a, a, a solid, uh, solid baseline. So uh, already opening up with my kind of random question, what is the last song to get stuck in your head? Oh, that's 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 funny. Uh, lately, it is Miley Cyrus. I came in like a wrecking ball, and that's because I coach AU hockey. And uh, let's just say that they are wrecking balls wherever they go. And if you haven't seen an AU hockey game uh, or practice even, and they have Miley Cyrus, I came in like a wrecking ball playing. It's 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 symphonic. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> it's such a good answer. That is that is that is such a good answer. So, what is the Association of Union Construction Constructors working mm-hmm. on, and and where where do they fit into the the grand scheme of construction industry? Yeah. So, uh, Talk, aka the Association of Union Constructors, I think is still in its infancy. And when it was originally conceived, it was born from the National Rectors Association back in two thousand and seven. The NEA, the National Rectors Association, had been around since nineteen sixty nine created this product known as the National Maintenance Agreements, which you'd already introduced. It's a series of 14 collective bargaining agreements that uh, is used in the heavy industrial sector throughout the United States and in some of its territories. Since 6971, the NMA was born as a product of the National Rectors Association. Um, it started to gain momentum with the building trades and their participating crafts to the point where the product, the baby, the NMA, actually had become stronger than the parent, which was the NEA. And in the early 2000s, it became clear that there was really a lack of a true multi-craft union-only contractor association in the United States. There's another bigger group out there that we won't name that uh, has become a bit crude, a bit bipolar. The non-union side has kind of cannibalized it and taken it over. So in 2007, the association talk was born and um, we're still trying to to get our feet under us and, and get pulling at 100%, but uh, got a young leadership team, a lot of good uh, volunteers that sit on our board that are gonna help us, uh, help us take it to the next level, and that is to be the true voice of all union contractors or constructors in the United States. Nice, nice, I like that. It's, it's been an interesting journey for me as well, because you, know, we, you hear a lot of, you know, there's all these organizations, which I won't name, because I'll forget some and then I'll be like, why'd you mention sure. them, not us? But there's all these single craft, you know, associations. Mm-hmm. They, they are for this trade or this trade or this trade. But they're really, you know, I, I think we're kind of one of the only multi-trade on the management side. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's a bigger one out there that maybe sure. represents about 20% of their book that's uh, that's union. 
with regards to the MEP contractor associations that you identified, the Mechanical Contractors Association, the National Electrical Contractors Association, and, and SMACNA. Those are the three larger national uh, contractor associations in the U.S. that are all exclusively union. And uh, they do a great job. They do a great job representing their specific disciplines. But, you know, as I indicated, that that cohesive glue that brings multi-craft contractors and their specialty subcontractors together, there, there wasn't there wasn't a union exclusive group that was doing that up until 07. And, um, you know, that's why we've got you and our marketing department is to spread the gospel of what we are, you know, who we are and what we're capable of doing if we continue to unite together and, and drive towards uh, affecting change. So you kind of opened up for this, uh, this kind of question of, you know, we have all these, these other organizations, they're mm -hmm. big, there's some are union, some are non-union. And what would be the benefit for, for like an owner? Why, mm -hmm. why sign a, you know, a PLA, a multi-craft project labor agreement rather, <laughs> why go union as opposed to not? Sure. Well, bottom line, it's because we're the best performers out there, our industry, most skilled, trained, educated uh, folks that you can possibly get. You know, these these men and women have uh, spent the majority of them a four year equivalent of a bachelor's degree in an apprenticeship program learning their discipline while at the same time getting on the on the job training. They have access to these individuals in large quantities. It's uh, it's a network of uh, of local unions that, you know, are glued together by their internationals so they can they can transport folks from an area where there's there's less work to areas where there's more work. And, um, you know, if you're a contractor, which ultimately is going to benefit the owner client having access to that large available uh, pool of skilled labor, really the top, the top percent is going to translate into more effective uh, execution of the work efficiency, safety, obviously being a big part of that. But in addition, it's almost like the Japanese model of just in time. Sure. If you're a contractor and you've got a project, you're, you're loaded up, that job is going well. You then start to scale down as the project comes to completion. I mean, the construction industry, they're all temporary jobs. They're not full-time employment jobs. Uh, you're there until the job's over, and then you go on to the next one. Going back to what I was referring to is if you're a contractor, why would you want to carry the, all that overhead if you are going to have lulls in between potential next projects? Keeping 100, 500, a few thousand men and women craftspeople on your payroll with them not producing uh, any product just doesn't seem efficient. And if you don't have them on your payroll, meaning you're not paying them, they're going to look for jobs elsewhere. So, I mean, the benefit of a hiring hall is, is, is key to the union construction industry and ultimately benefits the owner because that makes our contractors more cost effective with their ability to reduce their overhead, provide efficiencies when they're putting their bid packages together to these owner clients and um, the entire industry wins. So talk to me about the, you know, the alternative, like, you know, obviously, you know, I've, we worked together for a minute, but I'm an entrepreneur. I've started and sold mm -hmm. a bunch of different companies. I'm this new company. I've invented a new widget. It's a brand new widget and it's okay. going to new, a new factory. And, and obviously this is happening all over the, but I've invented this new widget. It's a new way to do something. And I need, it's a hundred million dollar plant. It's going to need multi-trade. It's going to not even, it's going to need a lot of support. What's the alternative to a union hall? What is Craigslist? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. You know, there's there's networks, uh, unorganized networks. I'm sure that can provide access to people, but you don't know what you're going to get, right? At the at the end of the day, where if you are going through a hiring hall, 95 to 99 percent of the time, you know the baseline skill set that these people are going to be able to bring to the table. Because as I indicated, they've gone through are in the process of going through a standardized curriculum, a standardized apprenticeship program that 
in most cases, I'm going to say almost every single case, sure. are all registered with either the state or the federal Department of Labor. So it is a curriculum that's established. Everyone has to go through it. You have to meet these minimum criteria in order to, to, to move on, to graduate, if you will, to become a, a full-time journey person. The alternative, you know, maybe they're posting up at Home Depot on the corner trying to find uh, available skill sets. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that in jest. It's, it's the truth. When you, when you hear about some of these developers or some of these owner clients that are all about the bottom line and making sure that they have the most low scale of costs, you're going to get what you pay for at the end of the day. And people scramble to find those work opportunities that maybe haven't um, haven't gone through the, the rigorous training and exposure to, to what our union industry provide. So to put that in the perspective of, of that that individual, you know, you have uh, that guy who's looking for construction opportunity, you know, jobs needed, you know, CDL, you know, these people that are out there advertising those jobs, what's in it for them? If you're the worker, not mm-hmm. the owner client, not the contractor, sure. you are you are Joe the plumber to use the, the political mm-hmm. trope. Yeah. Why go union? Uh, as an employee, as a prospective member of a local, as I stated earlier, I mean, it's the middle class jobs. If, if you are interested in working full days work for a more than fair days pay, our industry is about to explode. We've done some research and there's roughly upwards. Upwards of 110 mega projects that are kicking off in 2023 alone. Uh, mega project being defined as a as a construction job that's going to be a billion dollars or more, and a large number of those are multiple of billions of dollars. So this year alone, there's 110 mega projects that are going to be kicking off, and a lot of those are in the heavy industrial side of of, of the the industry. That doesn't account for also all the ongoing work that exists in our industry on a daily basis without this this large uh, resurgence of reonshoring of manufacturing facilities, uh, the electromobility ch- challenge that's taking place or the race between all these automotive companies. You know, the, about the only good thing that came out of COVID was the realization that our supply chains were too tight, too pinched. And we're, we're seeing that reinvestment taking place here in America where we consume so much product. If you take 2023 and extend it to 2024, there's with a high level of certainty over 140 mega projects that are going to be starting or underway as we speak. In addition to that, as a result of COVID, uh, Anti-Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, all these uh, government funding mechanisms that are now out there, there's over $1.2 trillion worth of incentives, uh, investment that the federal government is stimulating our economy with. And President Biden, back in 2022, signed an executive order that said that any project that has federal funding over the amount of $35 million, we'll have a project labor agreement on it. So that's $1.2 trillion worth of work. And this is apart from everything that's already taking place. I omitted the Infrastructure Act as well, but um, that's one of those three three bills that got passed that's providing that funding. Why union? Well, project labor agreements require that these contractors are executing this work under project labor agreements. And that's driven by the owner who is more than likely accepting these government funds. there's going to be a huge resurgence of opportunities in the construction industry, and we don't see it waning anytime soon. So if someone was interested in finding a middle-class ticket or securing and ensuring that they remain in the middle class, given what inflation's doing, the union side of the, the business right now is opening the doors to everyone. Middle-class jobs, great pay, as I indicated, retirement benefits, where you're going to get a check until the day that you die and your survivors, your surviving spouse could... Uh, could also benefit from uh, from that afterwards. 
uh, as well as healthcare. And that goes for your family. You know, there's not going to be a lack of opportunities in the next couple of years for anyone that's interested in, in getting a middle-class job in the construction industry. You just, uh, I have two different directions I can go with my next question. I, I, I want to know both, but so I read your op-ed a while back talking about, so we talked owner clients first and then we went to the individual labor, but, you know, talk is mostly, you know, management and that, you know, the constructors sure. and contractors, you know, I, I do want to footnote that in that talk is a membership organization of, of, as you indicated, management representatives, which are predominantly our, our union contractors, sure. over 1,700 currently, also local employer organizations, which we endearingly refer to as our local chapters that come from all, all different disciplines and walks of life. But at the same time, and I'm not making this up, but the international unions, the uh, labor representatives that participate on that national maintenance agreement, they're either the directors of constructions, vice presidents of their international unions, assistant general presidents of sure. their international unions, they consider talk to be their association as well. No, so absolutely. We have this major buy-in from labor as well that because we are exclusively union, because we have their interests nine and a half times out of 10 at heart, our contractors and labor, um, that being that, that they consider talk to be their association as well. And thank you. That's a solid, mm -hmm. good foot. Little plug, little it, plug. Little plug. The question I have is, there are people, and like I said, I, I read your op-ed in response to one, that call your unions, there's air quotes for those just mm -hmm. listening at home, you know, non-competitive or anti-competitive. Sure. Uh, can you respond to that a little bit here? I mean, you know, if, if you're used to being king and can do whatever you want and get away with it and not have to worry about um, checks and balances, sure, it's anti-competitive. You're not uh, exclusively able to make all the decisions and determine who's going to be successful and who's not. When you bring in a collective system such as a labor management trust or or a project labor agreement to uh, to set the guidelines for how you're going to engage with personnel, how you're going to treat them, what work rules they have to follow. You know, it's not business unfriendly. It's just establishing the baseline, the guidelines for how we're going to operate. Right. It's playing by the rule book, so to speak. And um, during the pandemic and leading up to uh, to where we are today, that's that's becoming uh, more favorable, especially with with the younger generation that we're trying to attract to our industry. They want to see their peers treated fairly and equitably as well. No, it's it's funny when I was I read the original article that used, you know, these anti-competitive policies. I was like, I have seen union contractors bid for a job. I wouldn't call it non-competitive. It's just in a different league. It's a it's still a very competitive process. Sure. Just a, if you're on the B team, right? Say the union side's the A team. If you're on a B team, you're gonna get abused if if you work for these these entities. No, I I think that's fair. So what are I mean, and we've talked a little bit about it, but what about the future? What about, what is the, just kind of wrapping it all up, we've, unions got us here, we're, we're, we've established, you know, these trillions of dollars coming down the pipe. As, as today becomes tomorrow, as this year becomes next year, what does, you know, what does union construction or construction in America look like? It's going to be dependent upon how of our, all of our parties interact and continue to drive for, uh, for fairness and equality in the industry. And, and, you know, unions may, may do a great job in representing their people, our contractors. Um, they're top notch, you know, they're, they're not, um, how do I want to put it? They're not just uh, bending over to all the whims and wills of an organization such as organized labor. They have to go out there and provide equity and value to their own organization when they're competing against other union contractors as well. So it, it, it's, it's really going to depend upon, you know, bandwidth, personnel, both in and outside of a, of a contractor's office. So the folks that they're engaging 
uh, from a labor standpoint, but also the leadership teams that they have within their own organizations. And right now, everyone's got massive backlogs. There's so much work on the books right now. It's 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 insane. You hear stories about contractors actually passing up additional work opportunities because they don't have frontline supervisors that they can entrust or ensure that a multi-million dollar project is going to go off without a hitch, right? Their glass is overflowing. So twofold. A, we need to find the next generation of craftspeople to bring into the industry so that we can ensure that our way will be successful in the long run, but also our existing craftspeople. They need to look at starting their own organizations, their own construction firms, and also the folks that are maybe working with the tools, considering taking a management position such as a superintendent so that these contractors can continue to bid more work, right? Stepping out of the, the trenches, if you will, and, and becoming a sergeant or a foreman, a superintendent in our vernacular, being that next leader. Those are the two items that I see being the biggest challenges for our industry as a contractor access to enough people to cover that $1.2 trillion worth of work that's coming in addition to everything else that's happening, you know, from a private sector funding standpoint, but also the evolution of our current tradespeople to opening up their own organizations, their own firms, and a step beneath that becoming frontline supervisors. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for giving me a moment of your morning to talk about there's some really cool stuff going on and there's there's a lot of moving pieces and we uh, appreciate for you uh, loaning your voice. Most definitely. No, thank you for the opportunities. And uh, this was fun. Let's do it again. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 